us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day and thank you for your blessing. And thank you, God, that in my Father's house there is a place for me and all of these people. I pray for Chris, Lord, that you would hide him behind this cross this morning and that what he would say would be your will and that you would open hearts to your word, Lord. Amen. Thank you guys for that, and I appreciate your uh, continual um, service to the Lord and, and practicing and the hours of practice that the praise band uh, puts into, and everybody puts into that. We're excited about tonight in our song service. We haven't had a song service in quite a while, definitely since uh, uh, COVID, and so we have a whole list of singers. So if you are uh, a person who really likes to uh, attend, uh, like uh, many concerts and stuff like that, and then we're going to end with baptism. It's going to be an exciting night tonight. We have three young people, uh, I believe, getting baptized, maybe two, maybe three, and uh, so uh, we're excited about uh, these young people uh, um, getting baptized, and so I appreciate Johnny. He's been uh, taking care of that, uh, of the uh, baptismal uh, pool uh, for the last couple of times uh, with me and then over the years. And so there's a lot of people that do things behind the scenes and never get any recognition. And I appreciate all that, all that they do. So I uh, have been uh, working on several weeks about and praying about looking at immediate times that we are in. Um, many of you are, some of you are glued to the news. It's been interesting to see uh, how many people respond differently, and some of you are like, I want to be on Newsmax uh, all the time, or some of you are Fox News, some of you are CNN or MSNBC, whatever you watch. Um, some of you are just like, I'll just get all my information from local news. Um, you know, it's, it's been said that uh, if you don't watch the news, then you're, uh, you're uninformed, and if you watch the news, you're misinformed, right? And so um, you're kind of like, what do I take? I, you know, what, what role do I take? But it's been interesting to watch people that, that are watching the news that some of them are like, they're always watching it. And then you have other people that say, I do not turn it on because it depresses me and all of that. And I, I think that there's a balance here that we need to find as Christians because we need to know what's going on in our world. And so as I begin to think about, like, how am I going to try to bring all these things in, there's just three things that I want to talk about. And I want to talk about the different judgments that are getting ready to come because if there's ever been a time that we've seen here lately that we've seen, okay, we really probably will have the tribulation and Jesus' return is imminent. Do you agree with that? You see... The, the, the new believers thought that, you know, when they got saved and, and Paul's preaching this, this gospel that they didn't understand. But then they were like, look, Jesus is returning. And they literally quit their jobs, packed their things and sat, sat on the front porch. And he walks by going, what are you doing? They were like, we're looking. <laughs> Man, if we had that mentality, right? Like, we're We're ready. But he was like, no, 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 you got to keep going. I mean, we got to live life and you got to you got to win others. And, and, you know, we don't know when that is. Don't set dates. Let the events around us set the date. Right. Because and I thought, how many times did uh, during War One or World War Two did how many believers thought this is it? This is it. And I can definitely see that. 
you know, but and it was God's way of moving the Jews and all the, the punishment that they went through. It, God was getting him back to Israel. Remember, that's the return. He's trying to get as many Jews back to to Israel uh, before he, he returns. That's one of the things. And you can kind of see. Uh, I don't understand how he does it, why he does what he does. But we know that that is that is in his plan. So as I was thinking about how am I going to uh, condense this, because, you know, me. That one day I'm going to go through the book of the Revelation with you. Uh, that, is, that is no problem. And 150 weeks later, we will complete it. All right? And, uh, and that's, I know that that's what's going to happen. But that's not the goal here on Sunday morning. All right? I'm going to take three Sunday mornings, and I'm going to deal with the judgments that are going to come because these are some of the most impactful uh, things for me. And so I want you to know what's getting ready to take place in this world to those who have not received Christ as their Savior. But not only this, to those who get saved during the tribulation. There will be many Gentiles and Jews that will be saved during the tribulation. And so a lot of people believe that no Gentiles will get saved because they only talk about the 144,000 Jews. Well, they, they are nothing but God's mouthpiece to witness to the Gentiles also. We're going to talk about how they're going to be martyred. and They're going to be killed for their faith. Um, to be a believer during the tribulation period is going to be absolutely horrific. And so it's going to be a very sad time. We're going to look at all of that. So what I've done is... I am going to do my best. I'm not trying to get stuck on one verse. I'm going to go through these and move right along. However, David and Bob's class, they've been going through the book of the Revelation. If you want a verse-by-verse uh, teaching of that, um, and you can join their Sunday school class on Sunday morning, and, and they're doing that right now. So I wasn't trying to come in behind and do that. I just wanted to say, look, we live in a day and age where we see uh, Russia and China, we see the Muslim allies, we see all these things lining up more than we have ever seen before and how everything is coming together. And so what I want to do is just look at the three judgments that's going to take place over a seven-year period, okay? That's kind of my goal. So a lot of you have asked for notes. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. At the end of this series, after three weeks, I am going to put everything that I've taught on uh, three separate sheets of paper, Judgment 1, Judgment 2, Judgment 3, so you'll have all of this. And so you'll have every note that I have this morning. I'm just going to have pictures and different things and to uh, help with my teaching. But I just wanted to teach it this morning, then I want to have all the notes at the end. So you'll get all this information uh, for you to keep in your records. All right, so... What we're going to look at this morning is what in the world is tribulation? What does that mean? It, this is the very next step next to Jesus Christ's return. This church teaches, okay? This church believes, but I believe this, okay? Why am I a Baptist? It's not because I'm hung up on denominations. It's because I believe the Baptists teach closely to what I believe. That's why I'm a Baptist, okay? So, in this independent Baptist church, we believe that we will not go through the tribulation period. All right, you have a pre-trib, you have a post-trib, you have a mid-trib. Some people think we'll get through the first half. Some people believe, oh, well, Jesus will come back and take his church at the end. I do not believe that. I do believe in a pre-trib rapture. However, let me, let me verify by saying this. I do think we're going to go under... Um, a lot of trials, a lot of temptations prior to this. Because 
you're not just going to have a great economy and everything is going great, then all of a sudden, boom, tribulation. There has to be a working up towards this. There has to be a moving towards this. And that's exactly what we have been seeing for years. I mean, look at our economy. You know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, that America is not going to be a player in the end of this. When it's all said and done, we're going to destroy ourselves. Did anybody see what the dollar is this, this week compared to the Chinese dollar? It's like 16 cents on the dollar. It's, I mean, our dollar used to be so powerful. It's not. We are, you know, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? And so I believe God is going to destroy America. And I'm going to show you that on a map where when he starts burning places up, and starts destroying, I believe America is going to be a part of that. And so you're going to see it's all going to be around um, uh, Europe, around this area, around Israel, Russia, China, all of this, all these nations. This is where the focus is in the scriptures. And so it's very important as we look at all the blood, the water that's going to be turned into blood, and we're going to look at uh, and how, how many people are going to lose their lives. I mean, you're going to talk about a horrific time. We're going to look at, you know, people say, well, the first three and a half years are, you know, this will be bad, but it really won't be that bad. Boy, but wait till we get to the second three and a half years. Let me tell you, the first three and a half years, people will be shooting each other on the front lawn over a can of corn, okay? And then we get worse. So don't ever think that, oh, it's going to be tolerable, the first part. But the second part is when it gets hard. So that's why some people are like, well, Jesus will take us out at the midpoint. I don't want to go through any of it. And I, can, I think I can prove that we're not going to go through any of it. And so it is a seven-year period. Of, and the reason for this is a discipline of Israel, but also it's a judgment on the unbelieving world. If you want to know just how hard-hearted some of these people are, they want nothing to do with God ever. In fact, I'm going to show you a passage of Scripture where it seems that there is a portion where the throne of God is opened up. They don't see God. The clouds kind of opened up, and they turn their backs, and they beg for the rocks to fall on them. God is extending grace, and they were like, I would rather be killed by a falling rock than to turn and bow my knee to God. This is the mentality of the unbelievers living on this world. And here's the sad thing. I think we already see that in the world today. I think we already see the people that live like this today. They want nothing to do with God. And so another, I just want to tell you, is, as I said, it's going to be a terrible time, agonizing pain for unbelievers and for those who get saved at this time. We're going to look at the martyrs that are going to gather around the throne of God. And, you th and you often, we often think about, okay, well, there's no more tears in heaven. That's not true. In fact, there's numerous times where God wipes away the tears that are in heaven. The last time that he wipes away the tears is at the end of the thousand-year reign when the, when the great white throat judgment occurs. We're going to watch people enter into hell alive, into the lake of fire. We're going to see this. And the Bible makes, uh, makes known that we're going to be weeping. We're going to see loved ones and family members. We're going to see them going to an eternal hell. 
This is not a made-up story. This is something that's going to happen, and it's not going to be far. And then the last time we see the tears will be wiped away. But God's wrath is going to consist of this seven years. Like, it's amazing. When I get done, you're going to say, how in the world can this earth ever sustain what's getting ready to take place? And this is why we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth eventually. But there's going to be 21 consecutive judgments. They're going to be released upon the world, and it's going to increase in intensity with every judgment. So, I told you, I believe the church will be removed from this. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 6 starting today, but before we get there, would you turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. First Thessalonians 4.13, I mean, I can give you other passages, 1 Corinthians 15. This is why, I'm not going to say I believe this, I'm going to try to always prove this is why I believe what I believe, okay? So, I believe the church is going to be removed at the beginning of the tribulation, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus Christ. For we have said this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And here's the rapture. By the way, the Bible never uses the word rapture, okay? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. How many of you ever heard this read standing beside at a committal at the graveyard? Well, if you've ever been to one of my funerals, then you've heard it. Because I read this every time. Because the last verse, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep, meaning those who are in the graveyard, because one day those ground, that ground will open up. And here's the problem. Let me give you the context, because context is what? King. If I give you the context, these believers thought they were hindering their dead loved ones from being resurrected. That they were hindering them in some way, form, or fashion. Remember, Catholicism teaches that they can buy their, their, their dead loved ones out of purgatory and all this. But, and this is why he's writing this. He's saying, don't worry, you're not hindering them. You know, God is powerful enough to resurrect them. That one day, these grounds will open up. And those who are alive and remain. So the dead will rise in Christ first. The Bible says in a twinkling, in a blink of an eye. Then, then we will go up to be with them. All right? Now, you're saying, Chris... But you're not really proving that there is a, you prove that there is a rapture, but you're not really proving that the church will not be in the tribulation. Before I do that, I want to I tell you this. Not everybody agrees the fact that that verse is talking about the rapture. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I feel like this is a far stretch, but I just want to go ahead and give you some background. There's also a thing we're going to look at on our chart called a second coming. All right? It's when Christ comes back and we... He reigns for a thousand years. Some people believe that this is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. 
and they have some pretty good arguments. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I, I can't buy into that, all right? I'm, I want you to have all the information. So by the time we get done today, you're going to be able to look. My goal for you is to whet your appetite, get you into the Word, and get you even studying even harder and understanding what you're studying. So, but turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, 5, 9. So we're still talking about the rapture of the church here. Now here is what we know to be true. I told you that I did not believe that the Bible teaches that we're going to enter into the tribulation period. Verse 9, 5, 9, for God has not destined us. Who in the world is us? When you look at the word in the book of Ephesians, he sees us, us, we. Who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. Who is the church? It is a group of believers, okay? He's not talking to everybody. He's only talking to believers. So now, ready, church? He's talking to you. If you've received Christ as your Savior and you've been born again, He's talking to you. For we have not been destined for wrath, but attained salvation through Jesus Christ. What is the wrath? The wrath to come. He's talking about the tribulation period. Okay? And so, that is just one example that I find that, look, I know that we're not going to walk through this. Now, there's other people that believe that and, and that, that don't agree with me, and that's okay. They believe in a pre-trib or a post-trib or whatever. You know what? You're going to have to get settled on what you believe. Study it out and find out what you believe. And so we can't just go what we feel. We have to go what the Bible actually teaches. But we do know, I believe, that we see that we're going to be saved from the wrath to come. Not that we're not going to suffer. How many of you are suffering financially as a result of the gas prices or going into the grocery store? This is, this is nothing. This is nothing but the tip of the iceberg that is going to take place. Now, how long it takes for Jesus Christ to come back in the midst of all of this, I do not know. But I think that we, you and I today, we're going to suffer much worse than this. And that's not even the tribulation. It's just a working into it. Now, there's other names for the tribulation period. It's called the day of the Lord, Isaiah talks about. There's also called the time of trouble. And then it's also a reference to the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, as I said earlier, is the last, more intense, second three and a half years of the Tribulation period. And then there's also known as times of Jacob's trouble. So if you look at different passages, you're like, what's time of Jacob's trouble? Oh, it's a seven year. What is time of trouble? Tribulation. The Great Wrath to Come. A Great Tribulation. And also, the wrath to come is also another example. So, the tribulation is not going to be just labeled at that. It's going to be labeled as other things. So, what I want to do is give you an understanding of what is taking place. So, I'm just going to throw up several of the um, of slides that I want you to see. And then I'll put all the written word with this, okay? And so, this is what I believe the Bible teaches when it comes to this prophetic overview of the book of the Revelation. Okay, we had the Old Testament, and then we have the cross of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. Now, the Old Testament uh, saints, what they did, people ask me a lot, how did they get saved? How they got saved was they looked to the cross. 
The New Testament church looks back at the cross, but it's all centered around Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, okay? And so then we're in the church age. That's where we're living right now. We still have a lot to go, don't we? We're just in this blink of the eye. The, uh, Job talks about where our life is like a cloud that's passing by. It's like just a fog. It's just a mist. But we're in this church age right now that started approximately in Acts chapter 2. All right, that's when the church was introduced, and this is when it came onto the scene. And then the next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church, if you believe in a pre-trib rapture. And then that's the very next thing. So that's what we're waiting on. We are looking now up, saying it could happen at any moment. I have thought as I stood by people's bedsides as they were passing away, or as I looked and, and, and you know, uh, been at that funeral, and I thought, you know what? We could be right there behind you. You could be in heaven for a minute, and we'd be right there. And this is why 1 Thessalonians 4 says, So we don't grieve as those who have no hope, because it's going to be just a minute, and we're going to see you again for those who are believers. Then we see the tribulation period, and this is what we're going to only focus on. So you're like, Chris, if you covered all of this, this is why it would take me 150 weeks, because you know me. But the tribulation, seven years is what we're going to look at, and just the judgments of the tribulation. Then the second coming, Jesus is going to come back. We're going to come back with Christ, and we're going to rule and reign for a thousand years. It's called the millennial kingdom, and it's, he's going to establish, and we're going to, we're going to touch on this just briefly. There's going to be a time where we're going to rule and reign with Christ and there will be believers on the earth. There will be babies that will be born. There will be people that will still reject Christ. He will, he will rule. He even knows the intent of the heart. They will reject Christ even under the reign of Christ. And then Satan is bound for this thousand years. He will be released at the end of the thousand years. And all those people who rejected Christ, guess what? They're going to rise up and Christ is going to kill them. And they're going to go into a living hell. Then after that, we have an eternal state. There will be the great white throne judgment at this point. And everybody, great and small, will be judged. And then we will enter into the new, new heaven, new earth. Now, at this point... Right here, sometime, there is going to be a point where heaven and earth are going to be destroyed. There will be nothing. I've often looked at this, and I've done my best over the years to say, where will the great white throne judgment take place? And this is my best explanation for you. In space somewhere. There will be no planets. There will be no heaven. There will be no earth. And it will be just this great mass of people with nothing around us. And then we see the new heaven and new earth take place. And that's where we will, will rule and reign with Christ forever and ever and ever. There is a lot that is going to have to happen. Um, and I just wanted you to see this. Now, what we're going to focus on is the Bible talks about the things that will be hereafter, hereafter the church age. And so what we're going to look at is the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments or the vile judgments, okay? And so this is what we're going to focus on for three weeks. So as I get through my introduction today, and I'll start on the seal judgments. So my introduction is a little bit longer today because they're just trying to introduce this. But where we're going to have some discrepancy, some people are going to say, you know what, I think the trumpet judgments, I think they're about, you know, at number six, and then it's halfway point. You know what, at the end of the day, that's okay if you believe that. It don't matter. I'm going through the judgments of what I feel is the best closest. 
And some people feel like the book of the Revelation is very hard to understand. How many of you ever thought, this is a difficult book? All right. You should, right? Because unless you're like, if you just read it, and you're not like, I don't understand what's taking place at certain times or whatever, you're going to find it very difficult because who is the beast? Who is the woman? Who is this? You know, who is it talking about? And knowing all of these things is very important. So the book of the Revelation, by the way, it's not Revelations. It's one book, Revelation. So it's one revelation. And you, you, if you just open up and you're like, I'm going to be a casual reader of the book of the Revelation, that, that's not going to work. It's a book that you got to get in and study and find out. And this is what you're going to learn. That you're like, this commentary said this, this commentary said this, com- this commentary said this, and none of them agree. When that happens, nobody really knows, okay? So don't panic. That's just the truth. That, like, it's okay. God didn't want us to know that. He didn't want it to reveal. The only problem I have is when somebody is so dogmatic on something that they're like, this is the way it is, and this, I'm telling you, and there's no really scriptural proof to do that. Look, I had a man come to me um, after uh, two Sunday nights ago going through the life of David. And he said, you know what? I feel that I disagree with you on this verse. And, but I had made a point. I was like, I don't really know if that's the way it happened. Because that's, you know, I'm telling you what I think. But I'm, I try to be as clear as I can. If I don't know something, I'm going to say I don't know. All right, and I do my best to do research. And when he finished talking to me, I was like, you know what? That's great. You know what? That's fine. If that's what you want to believe, but at the end of the day, it doesn't change doctrine. It doesn't change our salvation. Then it's okay, right? So I want to tell you, don't panic over something that you're like, I think it would be this way. It will all be revealed and all work out in God's timing. Now, if you think the book of the Revelation is a tough book, it's honestly because this right here is you get confused of, Wait a minute, I'm into the story, and it's talking about all these judgments, and all of a sudden it's like, he's talking to the angels in heaven. And you're going, I I keep reading it, and now all of a sudden, this judgment happened. I don't understand. If you can understand the informational breaks in the book of the Revelation, there are times where they cover, in chapter 1, let's just say, it will be on earth. Chapter 2 may be in heaven. Half of chapter 3 may be on earth, and the other half may be taking place in heaven. If you start understanding the informational breaks and what takes place, then you're like, oh, now I can stop. How how do I like to say it? I'm on my highway and I get off on my exit ramp. The book of the Revelation has exit ramps. And once you understand the exit ramps, then you're like, okay, now they're getting back on the highway. So just for illustration, they stop at Revelation chapter 7, and he introduces the 144,000 Jews and the Gentiles that are going to receive him during this time. Then you jump back into the storyline after chapter 7, and then you have to stop again at Revelation 10, but only through 11:14, And it talks about the two witnesses and the angels making an announcement in heaven. And then... Then you go back to the storyline for just briefly. Then you go back to Revelation 12 through 14. And it talks about Israel's flight. It talks about the two beasts. It talks about uh, the scenes of hope. Then Revelation 16. And you see what I'm talking about. Now we're gathering the nations for Armageddon. And I want you to understand this. And all this will be in your notes, by the way. I want you to understand that this is why sometimes some people struggle with the book of the Revelation. They just don't understand when, when the, the writer is getting off on the highway. And they just understood how that's broken down. Then they're like, I can understand it a whole lot better. And let me tell you, it is a lot easier. So what I did was I threw it up here 
uh, of how this works. And so um, I brought the five informational breaks in here. And so as you look at this, at the very end of the first seal judgment we're going to look at today, you have the first informational break. And then as you get into the trumpet judgments, there's two informational breaks. And then there's two more at the bowl judgments, one in, uh, at the end and one at the very end. So this is how this stops, because you'll be reading about a judgment, and all of a sudden you're like, I don't, that verse and that verse don't go together, and you're going, that's exactly right. They don't. He's referring to something else that took place. I hope that helps you in understanding why sometimes it is so difficult understanding uh, this book. So now, let's get into the seal judgments. All right, that was my introduction, and I'll be quicker on my message, I hope. I don't know. Here we go. The reason for the tribulation is twofold. It's to bring judgment on a God-rejecting world and also um, to prepare the nation of Israel and a Jewish to receive Christ as Savior. So it's twofold. To receive Christ as Savior right here and now, I want you to understand it's a very serious decision. It always has been. It's not say this simple prayer and you're going to heaven. It is a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. However, during the tribulation period, when you receive Christ, you're going to be killed. But not only that, if a mama has a newborn baby and she receives Christ and she rejects the mark of the beast, she don't get no formula. And she's going to watch her baby die. She's going to watch her kids starve to death before her eyes. It will be such a tragic event that when they, when they really do, you're going to see true followers of Christ and they're going to be slaughtered for their faith. There's even going to be a point in the book of the Revelation where people will pull out a 357 to stick it to their head and they'll pull the trigger and they won't be able to kill themselves. Now, what that looks like, I don't know. As far, I, I've often thought, will the firing pins always miss fire? Will the bullet not do enough damage? Will, you know, all these things, people will be throwing themselves off of cliffs trying to die and not be able to die. This is what's going to take place. But to be a believer during the tribulation period, I want to tell you I've thought about this for years and I just could not imagine what that looks like. Now, there is one passage of scripture that says this, that it deals with the fact of what happens if those who reject Jesus Christ here and now, the rapture takes place, and then we enter into the tribulation period. Will somebody that is alive right now, that's heard a clear presentation of the gospel, and God has been calling them, and they reject him, will they be able to get saved during the tribulation? Now, I'm going to be honest. The book of Thessalonians talks about this that there will be some type of deception. And I, it may be that it's talking about these people, that there will be some type of deception where if you're sitting in here today and you've heard the message of Jesus Christ and you're having this call on your life, then all of a sudden you reject it and then boom, the tribulation takes place. I don't know if you've ever seen the video where the people are sitting in church and all of a sudden the screen goes off. And there's like 30 or 40 people still left and all the other people are gone. They're running and checking their children and all of them are gone. 
Can you imagine? And all of a sudden, people are bowing at the altar. Oh, God, save me. Oh, God, save me. It is possible that the Holy Spirit is no longer calling them, that they're no longer convicted anymore. It's possible then that there will be such a great deception because Satan is the deceiver that they will never receive Christ their Savior. They'll actually turn. They'll, they'll become bitter, whatever it is. But we do know that unbelievers will be saved during the tribulation. Is it just those who have never received the call? I don't know. I don't know. But let's just say that you have been rejecting Christ as your Savior and the tribulation takes place. Do you want to take that chance? Because remember, the Holy Spirit's going to have to call you before you can become a believer. You know, you just don't wake up one day saying, I'm going to be a Christian today. It's responding to the call, who he draws. So I want to warn you. This is not a subject to be taken lightly. This is a very serious thing. This is an eternal thing. We're going to start with the four horsemen. This is the Revelation chapter 6. If you have your Bibles and you're ready to uh, go verse by verse with me just in these, we're going to talk about the four horsemen today. The four horsemen, as often some of you are only know about the four horsemen because you grew up in the 80s and you watched wrestling, right? And so there really is a thing called the four horsemen, and we see them at the beginning of the tribulation period. The first of the four horsemen we see in seal chapter 6, verse 1 and verse 2. I mean, seal, seal 1, uh, chapter 6, 1 and 2. Let's, let's read together. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying, as with the voice of thunder, come. Now John is having this vision, and he's looking into what's going on. I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and he had a crown, and was given to him. And he went out to conquer, conquering and to conquer. So this very first person that we see, remember, looking at every part of this verse is very important. Jesus is the one, because of the death, burial, and resurrection, He is the only one who has the authority to open up and begin the tribulation period. And He opens up this book, John is describing it. And John's trying to describe it as he saw it. And so he's beginning to order the white horse to ride onto the scene. And so this first person that rides onto the scene he has a bunch of different names but he's primarily known as the antichrist or also some people refer to him as the beast if you look here antichrist anti means he looks like christ he acts like christ but he's not the real christ and so all of a sudden if he looks like the christ all of a sudden people are going to follow but not just anybody why is this so important who are the Jews still waiting on? Jesus. What did he say? Over and over in Matthew, he said what? He said, I came unto my own, my own received me not. They rejected him. They killed him. But guess what? All of a sudden, the Antichrist is going to ride onto the scene. And the Jews are going to say, oh, the, the Messiah, he has finally arrived. And they're going to follow after this Antichrist. What does it say? He said he was on a white horse because he's a what? He's a good guy. He's a good guy. All of it is deception by Satan. He's riding onto the scene, and what does he have with him? He sat on it with a bow, a crown, and he went to conquer. 
He had a bow, but it had no arrows. We're going to see that. Why? Because he comes in peace. He's on a white horse. He comes as a king, just like the Jews wanted Jesus to come. You should come riding in on this white horse and be powerful. And you should take over the Roman government and overthrow them. But he didn't, did he? He was born in a, in a, in a, in a stable, in a manger. This is not the king that we wanted. You can't be the king. You're nothing but a false teacher. And so here's this man. He rides in. And by the way, here's the, here's the question that I have is, he's going to have to fit the qualifications of Jesus. He is going to have to die at some point and be, and be resurrected. And now I often heard this taught, there has to be some medical documents that's going to make it look like that he is the one who has really died and he's rose again at some point. Now, does that mean a physical resurrection? No, that they were able to bring him back. And, and maybe all these documents are going to be falsified. I, I don't know. And also, the question is, is the lineage that he's coming from, all that's going to have to be proven too. It's not just going to be taken willy-nilly. All of this is going to have to line up. It's not just going to be, oh, I think it's this person. I think it's this person. You know how many different presidents the United States have had? People say, I think they're the Antichrist. And some people are just doing it because they're mad. But some people are like, I really believe he's the Antichrist. You are like, that don't fit at all. And so he's riding in with a bow. If I go hunting and I walk out with my bow and I don't carry arrows, then I'm not going to kill anything. I might as well throw rocks. And so this is exactly how he's coming onto the scene. He's coming on with his flattery. Well, I tell you what, have you ever seen people misguided and misled simply by the flattery? Do you know how much you can take a, take a, um, uh, a video and you can trim out certain parts? They've done it for years and only let you hear what you want to hear. And all of a sudden, if you ever watched this and seen this done, it's awesome. They, they trim it out and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they said that. They did that. You know, all of a sudden you're all up in arms. And then the whole video is played, and you're like, that wasn't what was said at all. And so he's going to manipulate his words in order to win all these people, and they're going to follow over, almost like in a trance. There's going to be a, a deception. And he's going to rise to power through the European Union. Now, right now, there are 25, but the Bible refers that there will only be 10 when he comes onto the scene. Now, let me tell you what the Wall Street Journal wrote. The Wall Street Journal wrote about the EEC and the European uh, um, uh, community, and it says the United States of Europe, as it's sometimes referred to in the media, would be more accurate description of what ideally it would become. Already the restrictive borders that used to exist between the adjoining nations are gone, making them more like states within the new greater Europe and a common currency called the euro, which has just been put into circulation in the form of checks, will within three years be United Europe's uh, sanction of currency replacing the, uh, the sanctioned currency replacing to have one world money. The Wall Street Journal wrote that. What is, he, what is it basically saying? That they're wanting to become one great big old state beginning to dissolve the borders. Let's just say nobody does anything to help Ukraine. 
What happens to the border of Ukraine? There's no more border. It's dissolved. Because now we have one large state, Russia. So what happens if this continues on? What happens when China gets involved and we have one nation, one, one group of people for the same cause? All of a sudden, you're going to start seeing borders dissolving. Watch it. These, this is a scriptural principle. Now, let me go ahead and say this. It's so fascinating. So for so many years, people thought the Catholic religion will be the one, the one world religion. There will be one world religion because of its deception and all that. But the way Islam has come onto the scene, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't know. What is going to be the one world religion? Will there be a whole new one world religion? Maybe it is Islam. Maybe it is Catholic, Roman Catholicism. That doesn't mean all Catholics are not believers, by the way, okay? But I'm just saying the reason a person is not a believer is because they rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior. But not only this, I was talking to Kim about it this week, and I said, because she had asked me a question about this very thing we're talking about. I said, I struggle now. Is the euro really going to be the one world money system? How many, how many are invested in any Bitcoins right now? Have you seen Bitcoins come onto the scene? It's all electronically controlled. They can control it better. It's all about control of the money. It's supposed to be safer. You need to do some research on Bitcoins. But just this week, Newsmax said this, that the Chinese money is so strong that it is possible that it will be the one world Currency, that was the word from their mouth. Wow. That is to, this is happening this week in our world. And so, as he rides, this Antichrist rides onto the scene, he is going to deceive so many people, and deception is his weapon because he doesn't need arrows to start killing people because he is going to deceive so many. Not only this, the Bible talks about in Daniel chapter 9, in reference to this, he talks about there's going to be a prince that's going to come. And he says he's going to lead Israel into signing a what? A peace pact. How many peace treaties have been signed? Over and over. People, just this week, there were, they were uh, newscasters from Ukraine. We just want peace. We just want peace. Let me tell you, there's not going to be peace. You can wish for peace and want peace all you want, but there never will be a true peace until after all of this is done. But Israel is going to sign a peace pact with this Antichrist. But Isaiah says this. He says it is a covenant with death and hell. It will just be a short-term peace. But what it will do, it will give Israel enough time to have peace in their nation, because constantly Israel is a place of battleground, right? And it's going to give them just a short window of a time to do something. Anybody know what that is? To rebuild the temple and to start the sacrifices. By the way, I could spend four weeks just on how the temple is going to be rebuilt. All the plans are drawn Everything for the temple is preserved and ready. The masterminds behind building this, they are ready. It is essentially 
They are standing with their tools in their hand, ready to take that step and start working. That's how close we are. The final missing piece is the red heifer that has been also, people says they think they found it, they think they found it. That is the missing piece. Guys, all of this is right here at our front doorstep. And so there will be this peace, and the temple is going to be rebuilt. And then all of a sudden, all these priests are going to start these sacrifices, just like in the Old Testament again. But as I said, this peace will be short-lived. Let's look at verse 3 and 4. When he broke up in the second seal, this is Jesus, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And so he's inviting John to come look. And another, a red horse, went out. And him who sat upon it on the ground to take peace from the earth and that will men would slay one another with a great sword that was given to them. And this is what I want you to understand. This is where people, they don't understand by verse 2, or verse 3 and 4, by the second seal judgment, we see a destruction like you cannot imagine. I'm getting ready to explain this to you. So don't ever think, oh wow, that last three and a half years, that's just going to be the worst. The first three and a half years is going to be easy. I'm getting ready to explain what kind of war this is getting ready to be. So what does red represent? The color of blood. So all of a sudden, there's going to be a bloodshed. And peace in this, and it's going to be long enough to build this temple. By the way, this is how vital it is that the, everything for the temple is already so close and ready because they only have a short window of time. It's going to go up so fast. But then all of a sudden, there's going to be bloodshed. Well, who is going to bring this bloodshed? Russia, China, and the Muslim allies. I told you last week, if you haven't watched Putin, look at the camera and say, I have an ally, and grin. And that day, the two armies, China and Russia, signed an agreement. Now, what did you see this week? You saw Biden talking to uh, the, the, the Chinese government and trying to deter them for two hours. People, that's already taken place. If you think that China's not going to get involved, you're already behind. They're already there. There are so many weapons entering into Russia and the money that is backing. You know what the, our news in America is saying? They just don't have the money to sustain this kind of war. Yes, they do, because China is fighting alongside of them. Folks, they're going to come down, China, Russia, and the Muslim allies, and they're going to come down to attack Israel is what they're going to do. Now, God is going to stop this attack. And what we know to be true is the sixth part of this army from Russia, China, and the Muslim allies are going to be destroyed. Now, let me explain what that looks like. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men and women are going to be killed in the judgment where God will not let them take over Israel. The Bible talks about that the destruction is going to be so great that it's going to take, listen, seven years to burn all the weapons. And it's going to take seven months to bury all the dead soldiers from China, Russia, and the Muslim allies. Can you imagine what that stench is going to be like? Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Essentially, 
People will be walking on cross top of, of bodies. And God is going to be the one that's going to send this judgment upon these nations. And so, this is just one of the first battles. And eventually, all the nations surround will be drawn into the blood-soaked battle, eventually called Armageddon. We'll get to that later on. And so, Russian's army, China's army, the Muslim allies, they essentially have been defeated. They will be defeated. So guess what? The Antichrist now takes the opportunity at the very beginning to seize the world. And he takes this peace treaty that he had with Israel and he rips it in two and he breaks this agreement. And now the temple is finished and he sets himself on the throne. And now the Antichrist declares himself to be God by verse 4. This is how fast all of this is going to transpire. But then, the Bible talks about the third horse. In verse 5 and verse 6, he talks about the black horse. And when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and look. And I looked, and there was a black horse, and he who sat upon it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures, a quart of wheat for the denarius, and a three quarts of barley for the denarius, and do not damage to the oil and to the wine. What does all of this mean? And it's, you're talking about, do you think we're in inflation now? You think about our economy is bad now? You have no understanding about what the economy is getting ready to be like. He talks about this. What the black horse means? It means death. That death will sweep across this world like never before. By the way, the, the, here's, this, here's this man who's put himself in the place of God. And he's declaring to be God. And here's all, this is all a setup. It's perfect. And people are starving all over the world. We think that starvation is occurring now. People are starving all over the world. You think you can't find anything in the grocery store now. By verse 5, if somebody comes onto your lawn and you are not a believer and you have just a little bit of food left for your family and people will be coming into the house because they don't care. You talk to Jamie and Greg about the kids that they had and when they were literally starved, they would get up and they would hide food in the house because of they were traumatized by not being able to eat. I have never been in a starving situation. We all have said, oh, I haven't eaten in three hours. I'm starving. We have no idea what that means. We have no idea to see that our stomach is so bloated or sucked in where we see all of our ribs. We have no idea. I would imagine this generation, maybe you grew up like that and you experienced that. But people will be falling over from starvation. All of a sudden, let's say you're an unbeliever and all of a sudden here comes somebody onto your property. Now, I don't know about the gun situation. It could be that the Antichrist has taken away all of that. I mean, who knows? But if you have just a little bit of food left and somebody who does not care what they do to your daughters, your wife, or your son, they don't care, and they walk in too and they just bust down your front door, guess what's going to happen? Think about the death that's going to that's escalate just from people stealing over a can of corn. Because you know that that's all you have. I thought about all the animals that will be in the area. Well, I'll just go hunting. Well, how long do you think all these people are going to be able to sustain that? 
I think it's possible that God's also going to send a disease to all the animals that we will see, by the way, later on. Where it's, it's judgment, people. This is not like, how can we get around it? It's going to be judgment for everybody. So food will start, have to be rationed out. In fact, the Antichrist sets it up where you will have to work all day just to get one meal. Remember, one world government? Isn't that what we want, right? Socialism, communism, we just want one world government. Well, eventually, guess what? People that want that, they're going to get that. And they're going to have to work all day for their one meal. You talk about little kids are going to be put into, um, uh, into work. Also, I believe the sex, the drugs, all that stuff, we see, we see that's going to escalate also. But we see the sex uh, slave trade. I think it's going to, to boom. And people are going to do this. Why? Because they're trying to just eat. By the way, is this unusual for parents to sell their kids into sex slavery? No, that's been going on. That goes on still today. Why? Because they know that that's the only way that child is going to be able to eat and, this, and their family is getting paid for this. All of this stuff is going to be occurring. And so there will be no luxuries for the middle class and below. However, the rich, the Bible talks about the oil and wine, the rich will get richer throughout this time. He says, don't touch them. But then the fourth horse. It's the pale horse. Verses 7 and 8. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth and living creature saying, come. I looked and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it is named Death and Hades, was followed by him. Authority was given to them by fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and the famine and the pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Now we get into the pestilence. We get all these people are dying. And he sees all the pale horses this. Have you ever seen a, a, de a dead corpse that's been dead for any length of time? It's pale. All these decomposing bodies are everywhere. By the way, we're not going to have like, okay, let's send out the cemetery crew. Let's bury all these people. There's going to be none of that because nobody has enough strength. Everybody is in it for themselves to live. And here is a lethal judgment that on unbelievers that are killed through these judgments. Famine, plague, and wild beast. Now, here's what we know to be true. 25% of the entire population will die from this one plague alone. 25% from this one plague. Can you imagine the bodies that are everywhere? Can you imagine the looting? People are going from house to house, breaking in, killing other people just to get the little bit that they have. But then we have a pause. In chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, and I'll move on. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Because the word of God, because of the testimony which they have maintained, they cried out with a loud voice, How long, O Lord, how holy or true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them white robes, and there would be told that they should rest for a little while until the number of their fellow surgeons and their brethren who were killed, even as they would have been 
killed would be completed also. Do you remember what I put? There's a white robe out here. And this, this memorial that's on the right side is those to remember those who passed away. I said, one day there will be a white robe. The white robe in this passage right here is a representation for all the believers who were slaughtered. Now listen to me. Who do you think is going to be blamed for all this catastrophe? Christians. Now, there will be Christians that will be coming to Jesus Christ by the hundreds in the midst of all of this. And they will be killed. And they get into heaven. See, we were on earth now, 9 through 11. Now we're in heaven. And we see the scene in heaven. And they come up crying, Oh, Lord, you are holy and true. Please avenge our death. You know what I think? I think they point, this is my personal opinion, and say, look, look, look. And people are being slain, decapitated. All the most terrible things you can think, Christians, will, this will occur to them. And you know what Jesus says? Shh. And he puts that white robe, the, the robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, because we have no righteousness of our own. And he said, I'll take care of them. Why are they crying? Because their souls are crying out for vengeance. And they're telling them to be patient. Now we get into back on earth. And we're almost done. Verse 12. I looked and he broke up the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as a sackcloth made of hair. The whole moon became like blood and the stars fell from the sky as fig trees. And the, and the figs were shaken as a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up. Every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men, the, the commanders, the rich and the strong and the slave and the free, hid themselves in caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they cried out to the mountains, the, uh, mountains and the rocks to fall on them. From the presence of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath to come. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand. I made reference to this passage. Now what we have here are earthquakes, are tornadoes, are volcanoes. We are seeing things that have never been seen before on an unprecedented scale. And by the way, this is just a small bit of the earthquakes that are going to take place. It's so catastrophic and so much, not just the earth, but the universe is shaking. And every mountain and every hill and every island are shaken on this Christ-rejecting world. Can you imagine what it would be like in something and where all this devastation, buildings are no longer standing anymore? Where the violent shaking is so terrible, all of a sudden people at least could, could try to lock themselves and reside in their house. And all of a sudden the houses are falling on them. They have no place to go. Now they're outside. But here's where I don't understand. After all of this plague, after all of this misery, and after the earthquakes the volcanoes, the floods, all these things that are taking place all at one time. 
from the presence of him who sat on the throne, I told you, they cry for the rocks to fall on them. I would rather be killed than to turn to him. That is the heart condition of these folks. So you know what? God continues because of that, because of no turning. God continues this. And then we have a pause. Remember, I told you in chapter 7, it talks about the 144,000. The people are going to come to Christ. Then you jump all the way to chapter 8, verse 1, and we're done. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. What is this? This is the end of the seven trumpets. It's the lull before the storm. You said, Chris, the storm has arrived. So if anybody has ever thought, oh, that first three and a half years is not that bad, I'm telling you, it is awful and it's going to get worse. Now we cover, after this, the next 14 judgments. Don't miss the next two Sundays. And I'm telling you, if anything, this should get you fired up about getting people and turning people and talking to people, rather, and begging for their salvation that God would draw them because the end is near. Watch the news and watch as it, the events unfold before our very eyes. Father, we love you today. We thank you. I thank you that we're not going to experience this, but there's going to be a lot of believers that will turn to you. God, I ask for your help. I help, help in understanding this clearly and explaining this clearly, but knowing that this is, this is so near, this is so imminent in our world today, we can watch the events unfold daily. I pray for those in here who have never received you. God, if you're calling them today, I pray that they would, they would draw close to you and they would receive your salvation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.